I invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Revelation chapter 2 as we continue our series in the first four chapters of the book of Revelation. Today we're talking about the church at Thyatira. Um, How many of you remember, uh, I know many of you won't, but I know some of you will, I think, uh, the name Reverend Jim Jones. Yeah, some people remember that name. Uh, he was a, a, a supposed pastor of a church that was up in the San Francisco area that was called the People's Temple. And at the beginning, this seemed to be a really thriving church. Uh, they had about 20,000 members that met at 12 locations around the city. Um, and there was a time when people were proud to say that they were members of, of this church. At one point, it seemed like a pretty normal, multi-site, mega church. Um, They were known all around the Bay Area for doing all types of good works, um, working with kids and after-school programs, and and they had um, uh, different, just good things they did in the city, social things. They had a drug rehab program in the city as well. Uh, They got all kinds of awards, actually, for all the things that they had done. But at one point, Jim Jones started calling himself God's prophet on earth. And no decision that he made could be challenged. And no one could ever confront him about some obvious sin issues that he had in his life. And he was apparently very convincing because around a thousand members moved with him to Guyana um, and they were trying to set up a a utopian society. They called it Jonestown. Uh, It was meant to be a paradise on earth. They did agricultural products, they trained young people to serve overseas. But on November 18th of 1978, 900 of them drank a punch that the Reverend Jim Jones wanted them to drink and there was was a mass Suicide, 900 people. Jim Jones used to preach sitting down from a chair, and above the chair was written the words, those who forget the past are condemned to repeat it. And without meaning to, uh, he gave us a moral to his own story. And the moral is, apparently, good churches can go toxic and be bad churches. And we can learn other lessons from that church and from the first century church at Thyatira because they were going through something similar. They had become a toxic church. And they hear Jesus, who cares for them, uh, give them a warning. And he's giving us a warning as well. And I think this can be helpful to us. Thyatira is the longest of the seven letters to to the churches of Revelation. And one of the more difficult ones to understand. Uh, There were more things I had to kind of look up and make sure I understood uh, in this passage. One commentator wrote and said, this is addressed to the least known and the least important and the least remarkable city. Uh, That's Thyatira. But but here's the deal. Big or small, uh, well-known or hardly known at all, uh, every church is important to Jesus. Whether there's 
10 members or 100 or 1,000 or 10,000 or whatever there is, or one. I mean, it's just, or you wouldn't have a church of one person, but whatever it is, a church is important to Jesus. God wants us to be pure, and he wants you to be pure wherever you are planted, whether it's in a mega church or whether it's in the smallest church you can imagine. Um, he wants every church to honor him, whatever their size. And if you think about it, you know, in, in the New Testament, in the Gospels, Jesus says nothing about the corrupt political leaders that were there at the time. But he was constantly warning his followers and, and us uh, about false messiahs, false religious leaders. And I think sadly, as Christians, we miss the warnings. Uh, even though Jesus' teaching is echoed in the teaching of Paul and Peter and James and John. So let's read our passage together and we'll talk about it. Um, so, uh, Revelation chapter two, beginning at verse 18. To the angel of the church in Thyatira write, these are the words of the son of God, whose eyes are like a blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love, your faith, your service and, and perseverance and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely, unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold on to what you have until I come. To the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. That one will, that one will rule, with, uh, rule them with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery, just as I have received authority from my father. I will also give that one the morning star. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is God's word. So you look in verse 18, there's this other, another description of Jesus. He is one that has eyes like flames of fire. In other words, Jesus sees everything. None of our actions or thoughts or emotions or motives escape him. He sees us, he sees you. And his feet are like polished bronze that speak to his strength and stability and his judgments are sure and are permanent. So I wanna look as we've done with the other cities at a little city profile of Thyatira. It was small, but it was a busy city. 35 miles southeast of, of Pergamum. All of these churches are basically kind of in a big circle. Uh, 
um, they were, Thyatira was at the junction of three major roads uh, to Pergamum, Sardis, and Smyrna. Uh, it was kind of like an ancient version of a modern day truck stop. They had to go in there and they had to resupply themselves and they had to get water. And, and so people would stop at Thyatira, but it was more of a stopping place than a living place. Uh, it was strategically located for business because of all these different uh, roads that went through the city. Uh, in fact, the only ruins they found were ruins of the business district. Archaeologists looked, there, was no, there were no temples, uh, there was no amphitheater, things that they'd found in other cities they did not find in Thyatira. Uh, and so helpful to understand is that there was, uh, there was power in the city, but the power was held by trade guilds or like unions. Think of it as a, a union city, uh, better organized in that sense more than any other city. Uh, remember what was on the coins of Ephesus, we had a honeybee because they were a very active city and very busy, and Smyrna was a crown. Uh, if you, again, we looked at it, and the geography of the city really pointed to that crown. Pergamum was the snake. Remember, they had all these things going on with all different kinds of religious ceremonies that had to do with snakes, and that was on their coin. They were known for that. And on the coins of Thyatira is, uh, you can see a bronze smith who's working on a helmet to Athena. And so it was on their coins, a laborer doing his job because that's what was important in Thyatira. This is how much work was glorified and, and how much this was the epitome of a, you could call it a union town. Uh, the philosophy there seemed to be, hey, keep your head down, get your work done, and we accept everybody. No matter what you believe, you're all welcome here and we wanna, we wanna all be one here in the city. It was a culture of extreme tolerance. And as far as we know, there was no religious persecution in this city, no government pressure against the Christians. And yet, this is the church that was most in danger of being completely snuffed out. Why was this happening? Well, I think it could come down to because the people weren't wise about choosing who would lead them. Major industries were there. We know uh, from the inscriptions that were found that the different, uh, different guilds were there of bronze, copper, copper fabrics, pottery, baking. There was a big slave market there. Each of these trade guilds had their own patron deity and feasts and seasonal celebrations that often included sexual immorality. In Acts 16, that we read about Lydia who was the seller of purple cloth. You remember her and Paul the apostle had led her to the Lord. She was from Thyatira. Uh, maybe she went back. Maybe she was the one that uh, did some evangelism back there to start the church. But Jesus' main message here, and this is on your outline, his main message is be discerning. Be discerning. When you look at the church today, uh, it seems to me that the church as a whole seems to have lost uh, our ability to be wise about the teaching we're taking in. Um, what this letter from Jesus to this church at Thyatira teaches us is, and this is on your outline, four ways 
that we can be discerning about false teachers. You know, our culture today here in America, everyone wants to be tolerant of everybody else. Uh, it was just like in Thyatira. Even if it goes against reason and, and logic, they say, well, you need to accept this. This is just, it's, it, we're, we're moving forward as a culture. You know, if tolerance means being nice and respecting others and having a conversation with people that you disagree with and talking about it, then I'm all for tolerance. But if tolerance means that I have to believe everything that people say that they believe, uh, that's not a good tolerance, that's gullibility. You know, because of the internet, because of social media, uh, beliefs move quickly. People are teaching all kinds of things that aren't historically true, they're not biblically true. And couple that with the fact that, that people today as a whole, I think across this nation, especially as I read some of the older saints who've died, uh, you just get the feeling that we don't have the same Bible knowledge, basic Bible knowledge that they did. And that makes for a disastrous situation. Um, it's not a good combination. And I believe that there's Christians that believe some pretty strange things sometimes that I hear about. I'm guessing you do too. And I shudder to think of, some, of what someone like Jim Jones would have done in the age of the internet. Well, the first way to be discerning about false teachers is don't assume you're immune. That's number one. Don't assume that you are immune to false teaching. The church is commended for some things that I hope we would be commended for. Uh, look at verse 19. Their deeds, their love, their faith, their service, their perseverance, and that they are now doing more than they did at first. More of them, they've, they've got a vision, they've been serving all these different ways. Um, you know, we tend to think we would never fall for this or that. Uh, maybe like the church of Thyatira did, but maybe we're doing so many of those things and we see the positive and we get a little cocky, a little proud. You know, it's interesting because when they interviewed people who did not make the trip down to Jonestown, but were part of the People's Church in San Francisco, they thought they would find a lot of gullible people. They, they, thought, they thought they would find a lot of needy people who needed some person as, a, as a, someone they could look to would be like their savior. Small s, but their, their savior. And what was surprising is that the members of the people's temple that they interviewed were of above average intelligence. They were sharp. They were involved. They were connected. And I was surprised to read that an assistant DA in San Francisco was one of their elders. Um, the main flaw was just a lack of discernment. And they kept accepting doctrines that weren't biblical and they were getting stranger and stranger. And the people following Jim Jones were impressed with something and they, they dropped their guard. And they were willing to compromise. And the point is, if it could happen to them, then I think it could happen to anyone. So how do we combat this? 
You know, we've talked before, it seems like every week I mention this verse, but it's, I think, a, a great example for us, Acts 17, 11. It says, the Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians, for they examined the word of God every day to see if what Paul said was true. If, if, if they were encouraged, if Luke, who wrote Acts, was encouraging people and reporting that the Bereans were encouraged to do that, then then I would say you need to do the same thing with me, with anyone who speaks from up here, with anything you hear on the internet, with any podcast, with any book that you read, with the news that you listen to. You need to filter it through the word of God. That's why you need to know the word. Ephesus lacked love for God and others. Uh, they were strong in what they, what they believed. They were strong in their beliefs. Thyatira was the opposite. Uh, they accepted everybody, and they didn't care what you believed, into the church. And, and a healthy church needs both uh, love and truth. Paul says, speak the truth in love. Yeah, we speak the truth. So Jesus says, Here here's how you can tell. So, Verse 20, nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet. Now remember, Revelation is a book of symbols. Many, many symbols in the book of Revelation. Uh, that was, I don't think, the name of, an, of, of this woman. It was just who she was like. It was a female. It was, she was like Jezebel. They associated the name Jezebel, like we do, with the story of Ahab, uh, in First and Second Kings, you can read about it. You've got the reference down there. Um, who's lived 700 years before Jesus. But even in the first century, no one would ever name their daughter Jezebel because of the bad association, any more than we would name our son Hitler. It just wouldn't happen. And it wouldn't happen here in the first century. And so... And Jezebel, uh, she popularized the worship of Baal in Israel. And there were some crazy sexual orgies that happened, and there were child sacrifices that happened. And, and she was the one who was behind it, rooting for them and popularizing all this garbage that was going on. She was known as the most wicked queen of, of Israel, and, and she deserved the title. She was the power behind the throne of a, a very weak and wimpish Ahab, who was the king. And maybe you think Satan will attack big churches, you know, where all the people are, like the People's Temple with 20,000 members, but uh, we're not a mega church. It's not going to attack us. Well, one of the things we learn here from this situation in Thyatira, again, the smallest and most insignificant of the churches, is that big problems can occur in small places and, and have a devastating impact if they're negative like this was. So it's true that when, when bad things happen in big churches, everybody's going to know about it. Um, but did you know that ha half of the churches, the, the, the median-sized church across America is 65 people. Of all the churches across America, uh, half of them have under 65 people attending worship every Sunday. Other churches should never think, and, and us included, that we fly under Satan's radar because we're not a megachurch. Uh, they don't factor in Satan's attack on the global church. 
In fact, the kind of attitude that'll never happen to us is exactly what Satan will use to attack. That sets us up for bad things. So the second way to be discerning about false teachers is don't believe everything you hear. The truth of God's word needs to be the filter through which we analyze everything. Jesus says this in verse 20. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual morality and eating of food sacrificed to idols. So what was her teaching? So remember all the trade guilds in Thyatira that we talked about just a bit ago? It turns out that in order to get a good job in the city, you had to be a member of one of these unions. Um, you had to be connected if you were gonna get a job. And it was more than just a, a place to get a job. The, the unions there, these guilds, were like social networks. Uh, if you were in debt, you'd go to see your guild, they would help you pay off your debt. If you wanted to buy a home, they would give you money to buy a home. If you had a health uh, issue, they would make sure you got taken care of and that they paid. And so it was an important thing to be a part of. Um, and then they'd have their monthly lodge meetings that would include worship to those idols and pagan orgies and, and sexual immorality and gluttonous feasts, all devoted to the worship of their particular God. Every guild had their own God. And that would be kind of like a, 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 this magnetic female teacher, by the way, Jezebel, she comes on the scene and she said, it's okay to participate in that as a Christian because God understands that you need to make a living. It's fine, just go do that. That'd be kind of like a pastor saying, yeah, go to a strip club with your friends at work. You need to connect with them. That's the way to do it. No. And Jesus says no to the church at Thyatira. And this is such a valuable lesson here and one that we can't forget. And that is that anything or anyone that gets your eyes off of Jesus is not of God. And anything or anyone that minimizes or adds to the gospel is not of God. And anything or anyone that compromises on biblical truth is not of God. Even if their abilities and their gifts and their visions impress you, it makes no difference. In fact, I think we could say that even the, the greater the gift, the greater the danger. So here's how they were justifying it. This Jezebel was saying, basically, if you're going to survive in this dog-eat-dog -dog world, then, then you need to make some allowances. On occasions, you will have to compromise your convictions. It won't hurt anything. Jesus understands. He, he never expected you to follow him if, if it's bad for your business. You need to glorify God in your business. And remember, you're free in Christ. These were all lies from the pit of hell. Of course she was wrong. And these compromises in belief and behavior set the Lord Jesus against the church at Thyatira. Sexual immorality and, and any kind of, any act of idolatry in our culture, in any culture, is a big deal to God. God calls us to follow him not the world. 
It's like John writes in 1 John chapter 2. Don't love the world or the things that are in the world. Because all that is in the world, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, it's from the world. One commentator said it like this, when the church looks like the world, you have a sick church. When the church acts like the world, you have an impotent church, powerless. And when the church plays with the world, you have an unfaithful church. And that's what Thyatira was. Sexual immorality is serious because sex outside of marriage always hurts someone. It hurts God because it shows that we prefer our ways of fulfilling ourselves and our desires than to do it according to God's word. It hurts others because it violates the the basic commitment to uh, relationships that we need with each other. And it hurts us because it destroys families and churches and communities. Because it destroys the integrity on which those relationships are built. God wants to protect us from hurting ourselves and from hurting others. And so we're to have no part in sexual immorality. It's what Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 4. It's almost the half of that chapter. He says, he says uh, this is the will of God for you, your, your, even your sanctification, the process of being made holy. And then he proceeds to talk about how you avoid sexual immorality. And so these false teachers probably sounded very spiritual, but there are some common signs of being able to pick out a false teacher. You've got them on the outline. So they, they, number one, they, or number, under number two, they grab authority. So who calls Jezebel a prophet? Look at verse 20. She calls herself a prophet. She, no one gives her that title. She gives it to herself. She doesn't wait for people. There's no humility. There's nothing, no waiting around for people to see the gifts and, and to talk with others. And she just puts herself in a place of authority. I think we should always be aware of someone who says, I'm in charge now. Jezebel of Thyatira was clearly gifted. Maybe she was wealthy. Maybe she was influential. Someone might flaunt their, their educational degrees. They might be super magnetic as a personality. They might be an, an incredible speaker. But another lesson that we can learn from Thyatira is that bad teaching can come from gifted people. To let our guard down, and that, that's what leads to doctrinal deception and ruined lives. The second sign of a false teacher is they refuse correction. Look at verse 21. I have given her time to repent, but she is unwilling. False teachers are never open to criticism from anybody, even from Jesus. And then third, they claim to teach secrets. Look at verse 24. Teaching Satan's so-called deep secrets. So false teachers seem to always use this tactic to spread false information. Uh, how, How do you get false information out the quickest? Tell someone a secret, right? And then they'll tell it to somebody else, and it goes on. You know, on Amazon, there are thousands of religious books that have the title secret. And I'm not saying they're all illegitimate, but man, everyone, they know that's what'll sell a book. Everyone wants to know the latest and the greatest 
secret. And, and the newest teaching, I have something they say that's so profound that the Lord has just given me. So you need to buy my book. Read all about it. Make me rich. D to buy into that is how we become deceived. And if these false groups are so bad, why are they so successful? I guess because we're vulnerable. We need to shore ourselves up with the word of God. That's how we do it. And that points to the third way to be discerning about false teachers, and that's don't confuse success with blessing. Don't confuse success with blessing. In America, we look at people who are rich and who are powerful, and we think, yeah, how can we argue with success? Must be a, a, a godly person. God has obviously blessed them. And we think, you know, maybe I'm uncomfortable with some of the things they do or stand for, but how can you argue with God's blessing on their lives? That's our, the way we justify it. So, and this is on your outline, prosperity may show God's patience, but it does not show God's approval. And look at verse 21, I've given her time to repent. There are times we want God to pass judgment on people. We see things that are horrendous and we just say, God, will you smite these people to death right now? You ever said that or thought that? I have. And you know, I, I gotta say, I mean, I'm not justifying it, it's wrong to say that and think that, but the disciples said that. Remember in Luke chapter nine, they said to Jesus, Master, do you want us to, at a town in Samaria where they had been refused, they said, Master, do you want us to call down fire from heaven and burn them all up? Yes, go for it. No, of course not. Jesus says, no. We, we want these people to have time to repent. That's what he's giving them to do. That's what he's giving you to do. And remember we talked last week about repentance and, and how it's changing our mind so that it leads us to change our actions. God is giving them time to, um, what's the expression, to change their stinking thinking. Because you've got to think right. You've got to think Christianly about things. You've got to think biblically about them. And so it says in verses 21 and 22, I've given her time to repent of her immorality, but she's unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely, unless they repent of her ways. The message in that uh, verse says, I'm about to lay her low along with her partners as they play their sex and religion games. It's like, a, it's like we're in a giant 12-step group and God says, I'm gonna allow you to hit rock bottom. That's the only way you're gonna get out of this thing. God will let you bear the consequences of your sin and there are a lot of consequences. To sin. We all know that from our own lives. So why does Jesus have to say it like this though? You guys better repent or you're going to suffer the consequences. Well, I don't know if you've ever been involved in an intervention with people. But you might say pretty much what is said in verses 21 and 22. You might say we love you. We don't want to see you continue on the path that you're on. You have no idea how this looks to everybody else. You're ignoring that. We need to be blunt with you. You're headed for a catastrophe. And if you continue down this path on, on your own, the way you're going, that's what's gonna happen. 
So interventions are never done by people who hate you. They're always done for people who want your best, who love you. And I'm certain that, that some of you are thinking, you know what, there's no false teachers in my life. And I think I'm pretty, I'm a pretty, maybe a cynical person, but there's a healthy cynicism. And so I'm going to, or skepticism maybe is a better word. And I'm going to be skeptical of, of teaching and false teaching that comes into my, into my sphere. Uh, and you're thinking, you know, I'm, 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 I'm okay there. But, so we, but we need to understand that false teaching begins in our minds. And, and most of us don't need a false teacher to rationalize our own stupid behavior. We're pretty good at our own stupid behavior by ourselves. Um, it's kind of like the guy who was on a diet and he said, man, I just, this one day, I'd like, love to have a donut. And so he was like, Lord, if you want me to have a donut, then may there be a place, parking place right in front of the donut shop. And so, miracle of miracles, a place opened up after seven times he'd gone around the block. We all play that game. Maybe not as blatant or as stupid as that, but we all play that game. So I want you to take a look at what we've looked at at Thyatira and apply it to any false teacher's teaching that's going on inside your own head. I want you to ask yourself this question, where have I been rationalizing? Or at least where am I tempted to rationalize? Maybe it's a sexual sin like it was for Thyatira. Maybe it's financial. Maybe it's something else. Whatever it is. You know you're hearing the voice of Jezebel in your mind when you hear something like this in your head. Those rules are for other people but not for me. I don't have a problem. It's like what Paul says to the Corinthians. Let him who stands take heed lest he fall. And anyone that even suggests that you may have an issue that you need to deal with or that you're doing something that's spiritually unhealthy for you, our response is often all judgmental against them. And we start to say, well, you've got a problem with this or that too. Don't come and talk to me about my problem. And we get all defensive. And the best way to respond is to say, wow, okay, thank you for pointing that out. I'll take it to the Lord and let's talk about it again tomorrow or the next few days or whatever. We tell ourselves it's hard to be obedient to the Lord. You know what's hard? Is what happens when you're disobedient to the Lord. What does Jesus say in John? Twice he says in John 14 and in John 16, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. You will obey me. And that leads us to the final point, number four, don't complicate your faith. Look at verse 24 and 25. I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold on to what you have until I come. Jesus does not do what we would do and burden him with all kinds of guilt, which is maybe a, a, our tendency to want to do. What they have is the gospel. That's what they need to hold on to. It, it means that they need to live it out. They need to live out the gospel. That's what it means to hold on to it. And so Jesus is drawing a line here and part of living the gospel is drawing a line between those who believe the gospel and live in an attitude and a lifestyle of repentance and those who refuse to repent of their sin. Like Jezebel and those who followed her. This lady who was like her. The church at Thyatira 
had to hold fast to the gospel. And what that meant for them was to exclude Jezebel and her followers from the church. The, the church in Thyatira was told to hold fast to the gospel. And what that meant was that they needed to exclude Jezebel. The gospel they need to get back to is Jesus and his love for them and dying on the cross for them and, and giving them forgiveness and, and, and confessing their sin and, and, and continually doing that and continually repenting of their sin. It's like Martin Luther talked about living a, a life of repentance. And so starting at verse 26, to the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. That comes directly from Psalm 2. And it points to the fact that Jesus is promising those who will live for him, those who do live out the gospel, do live a life of repentance, that we will rule with him. And if we want to rule with Jesus, we have to be faithful right now and faithful to confront sin in our own life, the lives of those closest to us. Well, how does that happen? Well, you know what? We need to have a, a, a corporate worship time like we do now. It's my favorite time of the week by far. I love this time. But we also need to have a time when we're face-to-face -face in a smaller group because that's where we pray for each other and we get to know each other and pray for each other's needs and the needs of our children and the needs of our family. That's where we can, can confront each other is in that context. It's not doing it with somebody you don't know. It's doing it with people you know well. And then he closes with the way he closes the, the letter to all the churches, whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. In, in other words, this is for us. We have ears. This is for us that we need to listen to. And so ask yourself, well, I keep being vulnerable to false teaching, or am I at all? Am I going to be more perceptive even when I hear false voices in my mind? Can I take every thought captive to Christ? And if I am engaged in any kind of moral compromise that would destroy my marriage or my family or destroy my relationships with the Lord or in the church, then I need to invite Christ, I need to take Christ's invitation and repent now, today. I just want to leave you with a word of hope. And this is kind of a hard message to, to preach, but it's God's word and we need to preach it. You know, when we walk in here, we see, I look at you guys, you know, everyone looks so put together and like everything's great. You guys, you know, somebody walking in here says, man, what a group of godly people. I'll never be like one of them. No, you know what? We're all here because we need the grace of God. We don't deserve it, but we need it. That's why we're here. And so whatever it is going on right now, you might be thinking, you know, I'm stuck. No one here can identify with how stuck I am in my life. I'm, maybe it's, I'm stuck on porn. Maybe I'm stuck on, on alcohol or drugs or whatever it is. The reality is that everybody here, I think for the most part, gets it because we understand the grace of God. Jezebel and company are still in business today and the business is thriving to be out to deceive people and those who put up with false teachings I think can be found in just about every church and so there's so much accessible in some great teaching out there that's accessible to us 
But the sad reality is that tolerating sin is a lot easier than exposing it. It's a lot easier than confronting it. As I think about the troubling conditions of Thyatira and Jesus' words of concern to them and correction, we need to remember that that bad teaching has no place in the church. How do we keep that that from happening? We, We all need to be people of the word. We need to know God's word. And the purpose is not just the purity of the church, it's the purity of you as an individual and part of the church. If we're tolerating sin in our own lives or in the lives of other people around us, we need to come to terms with it and we need to confront it, repent now. I just want to close with this. In in, um, 1517, there was a young priest named Martin Luther who uh, pounded uh, 95 theses on the door of All Saints Church in Wittenberg, Germany. And he had a lot of questions and a lot of concerns that were valid concerns. And one of the main concerns he had was whether the church's desire to embrace the traditions of men was not backfiring. And it was. And he saw it. And one historian writes about that. The church had hoped that the pagan world would eventually be, and it's talking about the Roman Catholic Church in this context, be drawn from a preoccupation with evil to a greater fascination with good. So they say, let's accept the evil and the, the influence of the church will make them all better, good. What was happening, however, was the opposite. And Luther feared that the church itself was losing its focus on the character of holiness and becoming more and more perversely fascinated with the character of evil. We need to make sure that doesn't happen to us. Let's pray. As your heads are bowed, just, man, if if ever there was a moment to confess your sin before the Lord and repent, this is it. Determined to get help. Jesus did this intervention for this ancient church and he's doing one for you right now. In this moment, here's your chance to respond. Maybe even for the very first time to turn to him and say, Lord, I realize I'm a sinner. I need your grace in my life. Father, we all want to run into your healing arms right now. We turn our wills and our lives over to you. We call you Lord and Savior. We need you to be our Lord and Savior. So we receive the forgiveness you did for us, you got for us on the cross, you bought for us. And especially the power that you can provide through your resurrection. Father, we need you to change us by your grace from the inside out in our thinking. Thank you for how much you love us and we don't understand how it all works, but as much as we understand, Lord, we want to give every part of our lives to you. We love you in the strong name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, he who said all these things to us declares, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen.